Welcome to the Griffin's Lair. Good evening and welcome to the Griffin's Lair podcast. I'm Rocco and I'm joined this evening by... Lemons. And Steve. And here we are, gentlemen, the second recording of our first podcast. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the second recording of our first podcast. Technology is hard. (laughs) And uh, it is great to finally be doing this. I mean, we have waited about like three, three and a half years to finally get ourselves uh, situated to the point where we could actually have a podcast. Yep, with all kinds of cool equipment and place to actually do it and time. Absolutely, and it's uh, been a long time in the in the making. We've just been so busy with everything that we do, all the projects that we have, the stores. It's been one hell of a busy year. Absolutely. I mean, we've just and been, last year and, and last COVID. year and the year before and COVID yeah. and everything else that has just come out of the whole COVID thing and has uh, turned us into what we are today. And it's uh, great to be here with everyone tonight, both locally and all of our customers from uh, around the United States and folks that buy from us at conventions. And Thanks. Without you guys, we wouldn't be able to do this kind of stuff. So we appreciate all of our customers, whether they're local, whether they're across the United States, even international buyers. Thanks, guys. Yeah, without you guys, we don't exist. And that brings us to uh, our first little point of contention. You've probably heard of the Griffin's Lair at some point. Um, you, whether you go to HMGS shows or conventions or uh, large tournaments, we vend at those. We also have a large presence online. We have Amazon, eBay, Walmart, as well as our own independent uh, online store. Yep, we're all over the place. So... If you're looking for a product, doesn't matter what it is, you might have found us. Of course, if you're listening to this, you probably found us somewhere at one point. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So playing off of that, Steve, why don't you tell us, what is Griffin's Lair? Griffin's Lair is a company that has numerous fingers in the gaming world. So we have two stores in Erie, Pennsylvania, and a third new store that we just opened this past June in Pittsburgh, PA. Uh, yes, the the beloved uh, Pittsburgh expansion project. Yes, yes. It's been a lot of hard work, a lot of fun. Uh, we're just getting rolling there. Uh, shout out to those Pittsburgh customers who are listening. Appreciate what you've done to help us get rolling so far. Got a lot more to come. We've only been at it, like I said, about four months. So there's a lot of work still to do down there and a lot of cool things coming. Besides that, um, as Rocco mentioned, we have online presence. We sell online on eBay, on Amazon, on Walmart, on our own website. So there's a lot of opportunities to find Griffin's Lair in the online sales world. And besides that, we go to conventions. We go to the big HMGS shows. We go to Adepticon. We go to Little Wars. We're at LVO last year, earlier this year. So there's a lot of places where we we sell, we promote tournaments. We have some games that we do demo games and presentations of our own. So we're hopefully all over the place. We're looking to expand a little bit further and do some other things as well. So there's a lot of cool ideas coming down the road. Yeah, it's been a phenomenal year. And one of the major highlights of this year, besides getting Pittsburgh off the ground, was the fact that we hosted one of Erie's first miniature gaming conventions. InfernoCon. InfernoCon. Yep. It was at the end of August. We had three really great days. We wrapped it around a 40K GT, but we had tons of other games. It was so popular, some of the games were requested to play it an extra time because the TOs did such a great job. 
Yeah, uh, that was uh, Seth and Ivorone running that uh, Star Wars Legion style game that was uh, the Battle of Scarif. Yeah. <laughs> the people loved it. They wanted them to run it every day of the con. Exactly. And uh, luckily, Seth was able to do it, I believe, on Sunday. They did yeah, it again. Yeah, second time. Yeah. yeah. It was a really good response. Um, we're looking forward to doing it again. Hopefully, the venue will be a little more prepared for the amount that gamers eat. We tried to tell them about <laughs> uh, what they were going to be expecting, and they didn't understand. No, they didn't. And I, I believe, what was it? Uh, Friday. It was Friday. They actually ran out of food. They had to yeah. make an emergency food run. Yep. We tried to warn them. But other than that, the facility was amazing. Yep. The folks that really stepped up there to uh, help us facilitate all the food and beverage service, the kitchen staff there at the grotto were just friggin' amazing. I mean, they went above and beyond. Yeah, it was it was really good. We've got some plans for there this year. Hopefully by January, we'll be able to really expound upon those. But we're going to have more than one event this coming year, and we'll just leave it at that for the moment. Yes, we have uh, a lot of things in the, uh, a lot of fire uh, pokers in the uh, fire when it comes to types of events and whatnot that we're going to be running in conjunction with multiple cons. Yeah. I guess that's a, a safe way to put it. Exactly. So, Lemon, I want to thank you and Chris for uh, running the GT at the convention. That was a, a huge thing. So thank you very much. Our pleasure. That was, uh, it was really cool to see. My, my favorite thing is going around the GT and even at ours and when we travel to other conventions, Adepticon, obviously, one of my favorite things was actually just going around and seeing all of the painted armies. I think that was just, that's always my favorite thing. I took a ton of pictures, put them up online. Um, oh, yeah, that's one of the best parts of the miniature hobby is painting your miniatures and having these really nice models. And it, you don't have to be a golden demon painter to be able to have a nice-looking army. There's a lot of materials out there now that let people paint well. And it's a learned skill. It's not something where you have to be a naturally good painter. You can learn some things. In fact, we do in both the stores painting classes and hobby nights where if you're looking to get better at painting, you can join us for some tips and some ideas and maybe up your painting game a little bit. Absolutely. In our Erie stores, I normally run the fellowship night, as we like to call it, where we all get together, we paint, we uh, put models together, we assemble terrain. Uh, we just generally BS about the hobby, about the fluff and the settings of certain games. And it's a really good time and it's great. I think I've, over the, this past year alone, I've taught five or six people how to airbrush on those nights too, because we have multiple airbrushes available for folks to use just Come in. Yeah, that's and, great, yeah. And uh, I allow them to use my stuff, and I always volunteer my equipment and my paints, because I have a ton of them at the shop, obviously. You've seen them. Yes. Um, my buckets and buckets of paint, and I allow people to basically experiment with certain uh, techniques and whatnot, and I'm always there to help and give them feedback or to teach them a new technique as we go, as well as I also handle the uh, painting classes when they when we schedule them and they come up. We're and just it, getting started with those in Pittsburgh. Um, we've done some basic introductory painting classes. We've done one on contrast painting. A lot of it is for the new painters, so it's give chance for people to learn how to do dry brushing and how to do washes and things like that. Your basic, very simple introductory parts. We haven't really gotten the fellowship times rolling, but that's something that we have on the agenda. And we have a place back in the game area. There's about 2,000 square feet back there in Pittsburgh for gaming, for RPGs, for hobby nights, for pretty much everything. So there's, uh, we're looking forward to ramping that up down in Pittsburgh as well. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, getting everyone together. 
I find is one of the fastest ways to build a community because then you're getting all sorts of gamers that play different things that come in to work on different projects. Not everyone's working with 40k. You have folks there that are working with Bolt Action or, or Flames of War. And you have guys that are, you know, you sit next to guys that are doing things like Warhammer 40,000 and they're talking about their respective hobbies. And they're bridging gaps between different game systems and different rules. And everyone's talking about different systems and what they like, what they dislike. That's one of the things about Griffin's Lair is that we are striving to create community in our locations. It's not just a retail store. It's not just a come in, buy your stuff and get out. It's a place for you. We want people to feel like they can come in on their way home from work and just hang out for a few minutes, meet the rest of the guys a place to you know it takes the place of the bowling nights and the hanging out at the bar for some people and uh, you can come in and play whatever games you want you don't have to be playing something that we sell only because i think that's silly that's not part of community building that's self-destructive yeah you can call it that but it is what it is stores can do whatever they want we believe in creating a place where it's fun to come to where you can hang out where there's no restrictions or requirements to be playing the game of the month or only, hey, we only play 40K here. We only play this here. We only play that there. There's none of that. We've got guys that come in and play historical games that they'll never buy any more models for because they have everything that they need. But they're as much of the community as the guys that buy tons of stuff. And I can mention a bunch of names, but I'm not going to because then I'll forget a few people and that's not fair because we have tons and tons of great customers oh absolutely and one of the coolest things in the past week that i've encountered is one of our newest members to griffin's lair said to me the other day that he has never been in a game shop that has been this accepting where he feels that he can come in and hang out and he just loves the atmosphere loves the the customer base and he's been in every day of the week that we've been open nice and he's just come in and he spent, you know, four or five hours just hanging out, talking about the hobby, learning different games, talking to different guys that are champions for their games and, you know, what they like, what they dislike about their, you know, their system and whatnot. And he was just like, this is so cool. You know, I've never, never had this. I've never seen this before. This is kind of, you know, refreshing and unique. I don't feel like I'm pressured in here. I can do what I want. We had the same thing. I mean, it happened very Often, when we first opened up, I remember people would come in and like, I can just sit here and talk. and I could play or I don't have to do anything. I'd just come on in and hang out. Well, yeah, that's, that's what we are. That's pretty much covers who Griffin's Lair is, what Griffin's Lair is. You know, obviously there's, I want to do a shout out to the rest of the staff. We started small and we've been growing and growing. So we've added a second store in Erie and the staff over there has done an amazing job of growing the card games, board games, role-playing games, and the hero clicks are all dedicated over to that second store. Pittsburgh's off and running. We've got more people working in the shipping and warehousing department. So a little hats off to all the people that are helping make this train go down the tracks. I had visions of this big explosion, and we won't go into that any further. <laughs> no, the staff has been phenomenal. It really shows a dedication and a sense of love for the industry and for the customer base and for the games that we play because you know when I talk to certain staff members when I talk to them about a project they're working on whether it's in the store or personal to see them light up you know like you could tell they're like I can't wait to show you what I painted or I'm working on this and we're going to be bringing this up at the next you know board game night it's it's fantastic to see kind of everyone come together and show that level of enthusiasm that you do not see at Walmart 
Yep. <laughs> you don't yeah, see it right. at Burger King. Yep. Um, nobody's excited to show you their next greatest sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just the other day, Max, like, oh, my God, I got to show you what I did with my entry to the painting competition. And he was so excited. And Crystal's always excited about all the events that she's got planned and when we're doing them and who's coming. And oh, yeah, I mean, it's great. That's one of the things that always uh, gives me a morale boost is when the troops are happy. Yeah, they've worked their butt off, so... Uh, yeah, I couldn't be any happier with them. Yep. I mean, they're a great group of people. Yeah, especially when it comes to building out a new store. We did one this year in Pittsburgh. We did the expansion last year, and people are probably aware to some degree we are going to be expanding, hopefully, this coming year. The secondary store, the card game and board game store, it's like one year after another after another, and uh, don't get me started on Vegas yet. <laughs> or Florida. Well, yes. Uh, so a little bit of a hint of things to come there. Yeah, right. absolutely. The build-out uh, for Pittsburgh was massive. Yeah, it was. 2,000 square feet of carpet being laid in like <laughs> Predominantly by lemon. Predominantly by lemon, yeah. Four days of nothing but laying carpet. Yes, tiles 19 by 9 at a time. <laughs> But it looks great. No, Lemon yeah. did a great job. And I do thank you, Lemon, for all the work that you did down there. You, uh, holy crap, you were a friggin' machine. Thank you. You're welcome, man. You deserve it. I couldn't be any happier with how Pittsburgh's turned out. And just to let folks at home know who don't know this, we basically rented a, what, a warehouse? Yeah, I guess you would call it a mixed-use place. There was a little bit of a retail space up front, but it was basically a warehouse, concrete floors, and a roll-up door, and... Yeah, and we turned it into this amazing gaming space with retail section. And there's even a wall that has non-Euclidean geometry. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the Cthulhu wall. That um, was wild. That was wild that night when the wall literally pulled itself. What, what was it? A board pulled the itself. A board bent itself. And, like, no one's going to believe no, us. No, no one's going to believe like, us. We're going to tell them anyway. Yes. It's, so um, we were putting up boards to hang the grid wall. And while we were trying to screw it in, the board screwed in at the bottom and the top bent back at us thinking it was going to fly off the wall so it almost made a giant c or a j i don't know what you want to call it i've never seen a board do anything but like then that. it put itself and then back. it went right back again yeah i actually when i first seen that my brain couldn't comprehend that the two by four could do that yeah and i thought the wall was falling exactly i felt the same way it was like we went to grab stuff from falling out falling down and it was it was actually a one by six but it was it just bent in half and that went back and it's still there it is still there yeah it's some weird cthulhu crap (laughs) that was uh one of the things there um other than that it was the uh massive amount when we started with the uh spiders yes yes sadly well the place was empty like three years right right i mean that's what you know they were expect that they were well entrenched sadly and then we turned ourselves into the world's greatest contracting crew because we're building (laughs) we're building walls left and right we're knocking walls down yeah it was uh my god in windows yeah yeah it was it was interesting we learned a lot it's it's a nice space now we've got if you're in the pittsburgh area please come in and check us out it's at 2014 babcock boulevard in the north hills yeah you can't miss this place it's it's actually relatively and someone who's been down in pittsburgh or used to be down in pittsburgh uh, for a former career this is probably one of the easiest places in pittsburgh to get to in the north hills so you yeah. really don't have to worry about, depending on where you're coming from, you don't have to do like three bridges and a tunnel. 
Yeah. Unless you're coming from that area of Pittsburgh where you have to do the tunnel and three bridges. Right. Sorry, that's just Pittsburgh. But I couldn't be any happier with, with the final result down there. And the community down there has shown its support already. And there's a lot of folks that are turning Griffin's Lair Pittsburgh into their uh, their home store. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to see. We're really thankful for what we've had so far. And we're going to just keep bringing out, just like we do in the Erie store, just like we do all, everywhere, is bringing out new stuff, interesting new games, things people may not have heard of, things people may have heard of but haven't seen, can't get. That's what Griffin's Lair is for. We play miniature games. And if there's something that anybody's interested in and wants to play or wants to buy, let us know. We jump into new lines all the time because there's a group that wants to play a game and stores don't support it, but we do. And we Absolutely. Will. I'll bring this up because it happened today. And this surprised me after we had got done putting in our third row of pavers. I had a couple of the guys um, that I told was gonna, I was going to be there. They came in and we talked about GHQ. And for the, you folks that don't know at home, a lot of you probably don't. If you're really into mainstream miniatures and board games, you probably don't know what GHQ is. But GHQ is one of the oldest American model companies. Yep. As far as miniature games goes. Micro Armor and Micronauts. Yes, they produce uh, 185th scale, which is 6 millimeter, and 124 scale ships yeah. for use in uh, historical wargaming miniatures, uh, World War One, World War Two, Cold War Gone Hot, which for you folks that play Team Yankee by Battlefront, you guys know what that is, um, as well as Ultra Modern, because um, GHQ actually got its start as a miniature company, obviously, but they made all of the vehicles and specs for the Pentagon and for the U.S. military and the war colleges like West Point and whatnot. And they would use those for testing and wargaming and statistical analysis of large-scale maneuvers in miniature, which they still do to this day. But getting back to what I'm, I'm trying to say is we had a group of people who have been attending my GHQ Micro Squad demos, which is a one-to-one -one World War II game in... Uh, 125th scale, 6 millimeter, And uh, we actually got together tonight uh, to talk about Micronauts in, uh, for World War II. And Micronauts is a naval variant of the rule set. It's, uh, it's a pretty heavy simulator. But as we're sitting there, the three of us talking, it was, oh, so-and-so wants to play. Oh, yeah, I talked to so-and-so, and he wants to play. And then he's like, yeah, I got a couple of friends I was telling about, you know, all the World War II stuff and all the, the ships, and they're like, and they want to play. So this group kind of just grew out of the three of us who have a passion for historicals and wanting to do naval into a group of seven or eight people in yeah, the course of like an that. evening. And, you know, it's a, that's, that's us. Yeah. To yeah, me, exactly. that's us in a nutshell. It's, yeah, that's really cool. There, there's nothing, like, one of the reasons we play games is for the pageantry and for the spectacle, the epicness of it. It's one of those things that's just really so cool to look at a, a micro-armor battle, so say a World War II or a modern micro on a 8x6 table. It's just spectacular. Oh, it's amazing. I yeah. mean, you literally have battalions yeah. in one-to-one -one yep. on the table. Things aren't stacked on top of each other. There's no parking lots. No, it's, it, it, uh, you're it's, actually... works you, out really cool. What's cool about that scale, too, <laughs> not that the entire podcast is going to turn into a GHQ podcast, but what's so great about that scale, or what we like to call God scale, because 6 millimeter 1285th is known as that God scale. 15 is better. <laughs> Don't listen, it's all lies. But what makes that so cool is 
you're actually able to put formations on the table. And like you said, they don't look like parking lots. They don't, yep. you know, clutter up the battlefield. You can actually maneuver and use the correct types of tactics. tactics. Yes. Wow. Uh, yes, you can actually use tactics and you can use formations and you can, you know, use the terrain to your advantage. So games like that, you know, those really float my boat. Yeah. And speaking of things that float our boats and talking about gaming. Uh, it's a Micronauts joke. It's a Micronauts joke. Absolutely. Uh, let's kind of talk about how do we get started in this? Steve, why don't you go ahead and start us off? I started my gaming in historical gaming board games back when I was 12, 13 years old. So that led me into predominantly miniature historicals. Although the first models that I ever painted were for the Champions role-playing game. I bought a box of superheroes and another box of supervillains and painted those up. I still have, I think, three of those from way back when. Mechanon forget who the other two guys are. But anyway. You still have your champions minis. I have three of them. Nice. I wish I still had Ankylosaur. I don't know what happened to him. But there's three of them that still exist to this day. They're sitting on my pink desk. So I ended up very quickly after that. This was when I lived in Albuquerque. I went to school there. I very quickly ended up meeting a group that was playing DBA, which is a game that a lot of miniature players will start with. Uh, it's very simple. It's very small. You can paint an army in... An afternoon. An afternoon. I think I painted a Hellenistic Greek army at one time in a day. So um, eventually, if you are really interested in tactics and strategy, you're going to move on from DBA. I know there's going to be people out there who are complaining as they listen to this, but sorry, there are much better games out there, and you can play them with your DBA guys. You just need more bases. So we moved on into a few other things. We were playing World War One airplanes, which was really cool. Uh, we jumped into Seven Years' War, which became our predominant game. Was that back in the uh, 90s. Warfare in the Age of Reason? Warfare in the Age of Reason. Yeah, this cool was back game. with version one. It's on version three right now, if I remember right. Yes. Yeah, it was a great game. We had a bunch of people there playing. We do multiplayer games. We do individual games. There's some, there's some great uh, anecdotal comments that I could get into sometime in the future about things like Breaking Santa Claus and... Uh, few other things. <laughs> and uh, so eventually I got out of gaming. I moved to places that I couldn't find places to play. There were no Griffin's Lairs. Damn it. I moved back to Pennsylvania for a little while. Nothing. Moved to California. Nothing. Played some 40K. I ended up creating an Eldar army back then. It was really good. My current Eldar army is an homage back to that. And But then again... I had, we were living in Stockton and I had to go to Sacramento to be able to play games. There was a little store in Stockton, but there was no gaming there. It was just, you could just buy stuff. Of course, that was back when you could buy codexes for like 20, 25 bucks, early 2000s. I remember those days because uh, I used to cut grass so, so that I could go out and buy codexes. Buy yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. I ended up getting roped back into playing Flames of War with uh, the son of a friend of mine from Albuquerque who was living in Las Vegas. And we played that for a long time. It was a lot of fun. It was back right when version 2 started, which I think is the best version of their game to date. It wasn't too long after that that the store in Las Vegas, Empire Games, was opened in 2014, I think. Started down the road of lots of other games. And there's a lot out there that I play. Uh, there's some really great games. Blood and Plunder, Infinity, Impetus, Necromunda. 
I've got armies for so much stuff. Blood Bowl. Blood Bowl's great. Got the new Amazons, put them together this last weekend. So I'm getting ready to get those into a league in the Pittsburgh area. And I'm playing my old metal Amazons in the Erie Blood Bowl League. So got a lot of Blood Bowl coming. But I really like historicals. Impetus has periods that it covers such a big range from chariot armies in the in early biblical times all the way up into the early Renaissance. Yeah, it tends to, I think, go until like the 1520s, uh, 1520s, 1530s. Yeah. Uh, Italian Wars yeah. is where it pretty much stops. Yeah, maybe not quite the 1520s, but the 15-teens. Yes, yeah, definitely the height of the Italian Wars yeah. is pretty yeah, much definitely. where it goes to. So you can play Medievals, which is a period I like, whether it's Crusaders or whether it's period of Edward the Black Prince, who's one of my favorite historical entities of all time i play punic wars carthaginians yay hannibal elephants for the win but there's also a really cool game that not a lot of people know very much about the time period it's called by fire and sword by a polish company they focus on the wars in the 17th century predominantly sweden and the holy roman empire the polish lithuanian commonwealth russians cossacks ottomans all that stuff and of course it has the greatest unit ever known to man the Wing Two Sars. Yes, yes, the infamous Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth's uh, powerhouse unit, the Winged Hussars. Yeah, yeah, I could go on about them for a long time. If and anybody... so could history. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's funny because you can say, what was one of the greatest things that happened on September 11th? The Charge of the Winged Two Sars. Charge of the Winged Hussars, yeah, the breaking the uh, uh, siege of Vienna. Yeah, so I play a lot of different things. It's Hard to keep up with everything because there's so many games to play, so many miniatures to paint. Slowly working on it. Last year, I gave myself a challenge, which was to paint either a unit or a commander every week. And over the course of the year, I got about 40 pieces done, which was pretty good. This year is not working out to be that at all. No, last year, you were an absolute powerhouse. I was was following each post that you posted on Facebook. Yeah. I was knocking stuff out. Sometimes it was only one base, sometimes one model, but in some cases it was 15 bases. Just finishing stuff I'd started or knocking things out. And this year has been LVO. There was a disaster of that trip. We won't get into that <laughs> rain at the moment. Weather, hmm, band breaking down. We started opening, the, building the store in Pittsburgh. We went to cons we haven't been to before, like Adepticon first time, LVO first time, Little Wars first time, plus our regulars. Um, oh yeah, and then we, uh, yeah, Inferno Con in the middle of uh, all of that, <laughs> where we just decided, ah, the year isn't busy enough. Let's go ahead and uh, host a major gaming convention <laughs> <Exactly>. in Erie. <laughs> yep. So I haven't had a lot to chance to do a lot of things. A little bit while I've been working in Pittsburgh, I started a 30k army, Iron Hands. So that's been going on. I still have my Eldar. We've been doing stuff with that. Horus did nothing wrong. The Emperor's <laughs> just a big giant zombie anyway. So. There's a lot to do. I'm looking forward to some new editions of games coming out, Blood and Plunders, moving into Blackbeard's time period. I still kind of like the earlier period a little bit better, but there's some bigger ships, and there's interest that people will have in this new period, which will be really cool. Again, version 2 of By Fire and Sword. Um, You can guarantee that next year we're going to get 10th edition 40K. Oh, uh, we yeah. just had a new kill team released. So there's a lot of a lot of new stuff out there. And then there's the old standards that are just oh, so much fun to play. So I'm all over the place. And that doesn't include like role playing and stuff like that, which I really don't have time to do anymore. Yeah, I mean, it definitely with our positions at Griffin's Lair, it, it 
the, the store does take up a majority of our time. So when we commit to a project or we sit down to play a game, it's actually, a, so at least to me, it's just a huge deal. Yeah, actually, it's a nice break. It's nice to be able to do demos and play in leagues and just sit down yes. and say, hey, you know, we'll play for fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, I actually, the past couple of weeks, we've been so busy. Um, I haven't painted anything myself in over a month, and that's oh. not like me. Yeah. Because we've been so busy. I commented to a couple of guys um, when we were playing uh, Micro Armor the other day that I'm like, you know what, damn it, this feels good to actually just sit down and play a game with my friends and shoot the shit. Yeah. You know, and it yeah, was exactly. uh, it was almost kind of like, like a recharge. We need to do that, though, because it's funny. People think, oh, you work in a game store. You play games all day. We don't get to play games as much as we would like. <laughs> uh, folks, uh, industry secret, it's the complete opposite. Yeah, for a lot of cases, you have to find times to play games and force yourself to play games. And that's uh, it. You have to force yourself to yeah. go, this can wait for three hours or two hours. I need to go play a game with so-and-so because he's been wanting to play a game of 40K for the last month. It's part of the community it's building. It's part of the community building. Yeah. Absolutely. Lemon, why don't you go ahead and tell us how you got started in this crazy hobby? I started miniature gaming right around the time that Assault on Black Reach came out. <laughs> nice. For 40K. And that was, uh, that was the first set I got. And I've played 40K off and on pretty much since that came out. And then after spending time with you guys, I have started playing a lot of historicals. The infection is real. It, it is. Um, it is. It's a byproduct of hanging out with us and us never shutting the hell up about history. <laughs> it's like a uh, history professor's convention at the lair sometimes. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> More often than not. <laughs> More often than not. Yeah, get Ivorone going. Oh, and some exactly. Those, yeah. And some of the other guys, you get the guys from the, uh, the Erie uh, Tall Ships and the uh, Historical Society in there. Mm -hmm. And so their stories are great. Started off years ago with Flames. Played that off and on for a while. Then picked up Bolt Action. And the most recent one was uh, Impetus. Yeah, the Impetus is growing more and more. Um, Impetus uh, is a fantastic... It's, it's, it's absolutely one of my favorite uh, historical base games. The beauty of it is that an army feels like you would imagine it does. In a lot of historical games, historical tactics aren't overly exciting. You slam two armies into each other for the most part. But there's more to it than that, and a lot of games don't take those things into consideration. So the maneuverability and the morale of units and their staying power and skirmishers work like skirmishers effectively, and uh, it's just it's a really clean, elegant game. And we're having a lot of fun with it. I have to say, as someone who's played Republican Romans in probably every gaming system that's out there, and some that are dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is one of the first games that a Roman army feels like a Roman army on the tabletop. Right. To the point it goes as far as having line relief. Right. And actually being able to fight in the mana pool system. <laughs> the game actually covers that and it does it really well. Now, Lemons, you being somebody who's new to Impetus... Um, and having, you've played about, what, four games, four or five games? Yeah, somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. At least I feel this way, but 
you're playing a historical game, you're playing a ancients game where your armies are maneuvering towards each other and they're marching towards each other. The skirmishers are doing what skirmishers do, light cabs doing what light cab does, medium cabs screening and protecting the flanks until it's needed to run something down. But I've never played a game of impetus against even the same armies that have felt like a repeat of the previous game. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's that's accurate. I All of my games have felt different. Nothing has ever been the same. It's Yeah, it's just, they're not repetitive. No, it's not repetitive. It's not like you kind of find that, that one strategy and you just keep copy-paste, repeat. Right. Copy-paste, repeat. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really work that way because Impetus is one of those games where it's a historical game. It's not a meta-based game. So you can't just employ a netlist or, you know... A, a in basic impetus, you can barely change your armies. You have four options, and one of those is buying extra rerolls in most cases. So you're limited in what your army construction is. So you have to play tactically, not just throw a great army at somebody. Absolutely. And what really comes into play is knowing when to commit knowing when not to commit, and being able to read that battlefield. Right. That, that is 100% the game. Yeah, yeah, throwing in at the right time, hitting as a unit, trying to flank something. That's one of the biggest challenges for me coming from playing 40K for so long <laughs> of just going from a point-and-click game to that. You got to learn to read the battlefield a lot, a lot better. A lot more, yeah. Yeah, you do. You do, yeah. and that's the case with most... Uh, Really good historical games. Yeah, exactly. Really good historical games will, will force you to learn how to read a battlefield or learn how to at least anticipate what your opponent's going to do with said force. Yep, and how to counter it. And how to counter it, exactly. Okay, I guess that uh, comes back to me, huh? Yep, Okay. Your well, turn. <laughs> yeah, my turn. So I got started in the hobby when, uh, when I was a young man. I was probably about 11... 12 years old when I got into this hobby. And I started like uh, pretty much every young man in my age group. I'm 39 now, by the way. I started with Warhammer 40K and Warhammer Fantasy is how I got my start. I basically tell people I grew up in that setting because as, you know, that 11-year-old kid, that 10, 11-year-old kid who went out and bought all the codexes and bought all the army books and whatnot, it was one of those things... As a kid, it one, it forced me to read more, which is always a good thing. Oh, absolutely. And two, um, the stories and the artwork of yep. the time that was in that book, especially the 40K stuff. That was like John Blanche era. Yeah. It was oh, just yeah. nuts. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you're like, holy, what is this? This is amazing. Holy crap. Yeah. And you're reading all this fluff, and 40K is just nuts. It's everything's cranked yep. up to 11, and then you break the knob. Yep. And then you find a way to make it louder. Um, And that's what I think the attraction was for me as a young man. I'm like, this is amazing. This is a world where everyone's a bad guy. Everything sucks. And you're just kind of doing what you can with a crappy situation. And that was, to me, that was what 40K was. And what really drew me to the hobby itself was the fact that I had to build and paint miniatures. Right. I loved painting. One of the things that just, you mentioned being 11... Uh, I was thinking about the incredible Kill Team narrative event that we did. Uh, it included four 11-year-olds from the community, kids from customers. And uh, 
the same thing, how excited they were and how just into it they were with the different models, the Necrons and everything, and just like eating that stuff up. And, and how hardcore they were on the yeah. lore. Yes. It was amazing. Yes. I'm like, oh my God, these this was me. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. That's what I was saying. It just, it, it's like looking back in time a little bit. Yeah. You know, That's exactly what it was yeah. like. And you could see it on their faces when they were playing. Yeah. Like they were in it. This was, mm-hmm. this was their it was thing. Serious. Yeah, oh, it was yeah. serious. Oh, yeah. I remember when uh, Christian's boy played me. It was his first game against, or second game against an adult. And he was sweating it. Yeah. It was, he put up a heck of a fight, too. That was a, it was a really good game. My favorite thing is when it comes to stuff like that is when the kids just kick the crap out of the adults because dice game. And some of them, um, you got to be careful Yeah. because I'm going to tell you what, their dads can throw dice and they teach the, the, they teach the kids and, and the kids, I think about when I was a kid and digging into Avalon Hill games and like you spend hours reading through the rules, reading through tactics. I can't tell you how much time I spent learning from squad leader where you put a machine gun so that you have maximum coverage on a battlefield and where you don't put a machine gun. And then how do you take that machine gun out? And that's what kids are doing. And it's the same thing with this. They are just eating the game up. You don't get that very much anymore. And you're absolutely right about the old Avalon Hill games because the old Avalon, excuse me, the the old (laughs) words are hard. The old Avalon Hill games were great. It's kind of funny now looking back because it was a rule book. In one part, the infantryman's handbook. Yeah, basically. Because it actually taught you small unit tactics. Mm-hmm. Especially like squad leaders. Squad, the advanced squad leaders, like, okay, so this is why you do X, and this is, you know, it, well, you were talking about the machine gun. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, so reading that stuff as a kid, you're like, oh, my God, this is serious. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that was always the technical side of it, you know, yeah. getting into the rules and the fluff and all that stuff was a big motivator. And then back to painting. Painting is something to this day that is why I do this and why I participate in this hobby. Seeing other people's paint jobs, uh, painting with the community and teaching the classes as well as me painting stuff is the greatest stress reliever I have ever had in my life. It's a great creative creative outlook. Words. (laughs) It's a great creative... I lost it. Forget it. (laughs) I think what you're trying to say is it's a... uh, a great outlet. Uh, outlet, yes. <laughs> it is. It, especially if you have one of those jobs where you're not allowed to be creative. <laughs> buttons. They're the our soundboard has it's shiny, it's I got I forgot buttons, to turn it off. And it you forgot to turn going. it off. I'd like to thank everyone tonight for joining us with uh, three morons and a soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> Monkey push button. <laughs> but no, what like I was saying if you don't have one of those jobs that allows you to think for yourself or be creative, something like this hobby is absolutely amazing because it allows you to express yourself. It allows you to either paint within the established uh, realm of fluff or the narrative of whatever game you play or allows you to do things like, I'm going to paint my grandfather's unit from World War II. Because I grew up listening to him tell stories and looking at pictures of him and his buddies in the war. And I want to pay homage to my grandfather and the guys that fought. I've had several friends that have done that. I've done that. And I think that's, you know, that's another creative uh, outlet. Absolutely. The hobby has multiple parts to it. 
Um, and painting is just one of them. You have collecting. You have the research into what's going on. You have the army building, the organizing. And that's the same whether you're doing a made-up game in the future or you're trying to figure out what units were at Azuncore. Exactly. Same kind of thing. And then you have playing the games. And that's not only a outlet for social activity, but it is a chance to do strategy and learn tactics. And so there's a lot that goes into miniature wargaming, which uh, and there's I think a lot, draws so many people. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of things in miniature wargaming um, that people don't understand, especially you know the outsiders looking into the hobby. Yes, you have the cool settings. Yes, you have the flash. You have the pageantry. But one of the things that always impressed me, or at least was a point of uh, interest for me, was the amount of technical information in some of the rule books. Oh, yeah. Those guys spent a lot of time digging into that. There's a, definitely a labor of love. You know, uh, it was Tom Clancy who... I just found this out recently. Tom Clancy who said... For his, when he was writing The Hunt for Red October, one of his technical manuals was the original copy of the game Harpoon. Wow. I remember that. Yeah. And he used to play Harpoon with the, I can't remember the name of the gentleman who created, he's still alive. As a matter of fact, he still runs Harpoon Games at Origins. <laughs> okay. So he used Harpoon, which was a naval miniature war game for some of his technical data that he used in the hunt for Red October, which became a motion picture, a uh, very successful one. Um, and it's a cool movie. Uh, it's an even better book, but it's a cool movie. If you haven't checked it out, I recommend you go watch it. Any of the uh, old school Tom Clancy movies, um, the books are even better. But I digress. Um, getting back to that, he said that... Larry Bond? Larry, yes, that's it. He said that Harpoon was the equivalent of having $5,000 in resource manuals. Dang. And that just goes to show you the amount of information that goes into these types of games. And I've said this before because I'm a rule book collector. I spend money on rule books that I will never play, games I'll never play, but I have their rule books. I have a mint condition Warhammer historical the Battle of Waterloo. Cool. Okay. And it's cool that I have that because those are very rare. And it's a very expensive book. But what's really cool about it is you could probably write a college-level paper out of that damn book. Right. With the amount of information that is in that thing. And by the way, that book is like two and a half, three inches thick. It's huge. So, I mean... To me, that was always the technical aspect of the games right. was amazing. Yeah. Just all the information that's in them. Oh, definitely, yeah. And, you know, later on in life, um, when I moved past doing the 40K thing, because I did it pretty much most of my teenage and early adult life, um, I played it uh, somewhat competitively, um, did a couple of GTs, and uh, kind of fell out of the game a little bit, as everyone does. Everything kind of circles back eventually. I, and for me, it was really a work thing i was starting out in my career right and uh i needed i needed that to be my priority in life not warhammer unfortunately stupid work stupid work i still painted though i still right. yeah i remember you saying that i yeah i used to take stuff on the road with me yeah 
And like I said, and I tell people this to this day, even when I'm doing painting classes or we're just BSing at a fellowship night or just in general when you're, when you're a counter monkey and you're hanging out at the register, when I dipped my paintbrush into the paint and applied it to my model, the entire day went away. Yep. The stress st- reduction. Stress reduction. I was hyper-focused in on what I was doing. Work didn't matter that day. The stuff that occurred there didn't matter. And I was able to power through the day by getting that hobby time in. Yep. So after that, I got into uh, Flames of War when I kind of made my return into gaming. And I met uh, Ivorone in that group. Mm-hmm. And this was right at like the tail end of second edition. Yeah. And from there, um, I think I was like three, four months before third edition came out. And then I rocked that hard. I played that competitively, got into a couple of really cool tournaments, um, Pittsburgh and Erie. Plus we hosted them all the time then. And uh, after that, I got into pretty much historicals at that point. Cause I'm like, Oh, there's other stuff besides 40 K. So that was pretty much predominantly my entry into the, the miniatures hobby. And then of course, you know, RPGs. I, uh, yeah. I run some at the shop. I do uh, cyberpunk uh, shadow run and uh, Delta green. Those are the three games that I run regularly. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a hell of a hobby and I invite you uh, if you're interested in looking into getting into this type of hobby, but you don't know where to start, uh, this would be the best place to start. I'd invite you to come down to the shop or message us online and uh, just talk about the hobby. Say, hey, you know, one thing that Games Workshop's doing right right now is the amount of public content that's out there. Yeah. The stuff they're putting out um, as far as the trailers they do for new editions or new games, they're amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, like the, technical yeah, the hor- that goes into those. The Horus Heresy trailer is one of the best pieces of 3D animation I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I want that to that be stuff. a movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I would I would go to the theater and pay to watch that. Yeah, twice as much as any of this other crap that's on there. Absolutely. It's it's just still it blows me away to this day. Well, folks, I want to thank everyone for uh joining us this evening. Yeah, we, definitely. You know, it's again, it's you guys that make this possible. It gives us the chance to continue to do what we love to do and focus the Griffin's Lair into the company you want it to be. And to build that community and forge those relationships and bring that back to you guys. So that's why we're here. We're here because of you. Yep, and we couldn't do it otherwise. And this part I'd like to point out as we go forward with the podcast, if you guys got ideas for the show or anything you'd like us to talk about, bring it up. We're also going to have guests in place, too. And you don't have to be local. We have this really cool board that will let us take uh, phone-in guests. So if there's something that uh, you feel like would be an interesting podcast topic uh, that has to do with gaming, hit us up. We're going to end up hitting some of you guys up for some of our regulars. So don't be surprised if you're on one of these podcasts soon. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be ambushing you any day now. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. For everybody who's been listening this now very close to an hour, we would like to offer a special deal uh, for you taking the time. So we have a promo code. If you are ordering online, you can use promo code PROMO15, that's P-R-O-M-O-1-5, to get 15% off your order. If you are a member, 
you can get an extra 5% on top of your membership discount by mentioning, again, promo 15, P-R-O-M-O-1-5. Tell your friends about this podcast. Uh, let them know what's going on. One of the things that we're planning on doing pretty soon, which I think is pretty cool, is we're going to end up doing a uh, scavenger hunt. So there's going to be parts of the podcast that's going to have things that will lead you to some cool discounts or some giveaways or some other stuff like that. So, yeah, we'll be back again in a little while. Again, folks, thank you for joining us. I'm Rocco. I'm Lemon. And Steve. And we are the Griffin's Lair Podcast.